many have been set free? How many have been saved? Amen. Well, glory to God. Well, you may have a seat. Hallelujah. I want to introduce somebody right away. If Christian will come up here. This is Christian Knatzer. Uh, you might know his father, Sonny, who has been here and preached before and always does a great job. He is, his father is the president of Church on a Rock Network of Ministers, a great friend of Pastor John's, and uh, just one of the people that helped kind of oversee our church some and comes in and out, and he's a pastor to pastors. But just excited to have Christian here. He's getting ready to venture off uh, to the mission field, mm -hmm. maybe a little different place than maybe we thought. But uh, I'll let you kind of share about that. But I've been hearing great things about your message, and it's been inspiring to me and stirring me. And I think it's perfect timing for Pastor John, who, by the way, he, I don't know if he is today, he was preaching at a little church in Mississippi around his hometown. And this is his week pretty much annually to go back during harvest time uh, with his father and get on the big John Deere and drive back and forth and do the farmer thing and kind of go back to his roots. And, and then Linnell went and did her thing, which is go see the grandbaby. And so let's be praying for them, and, uh, but we're excited to have you here, and I can't help but say it again, but you got great-looking hair. Amen. Appreciate it. Thank you. Be blessed. Much. Yeah, it, I only get that from a guy like Pastor Mike. Us baldies got to stick together. Uh, <laughs> so as you can tell, my voice is getting a little weak. I had to shout a lot at the first service, people. I don't know what it was. So just help me out, and maybe I just need to whisper to you guys. Is that... They actually told me that I need to take a little bit longer with you, so uh, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, well, my name is Christian Knatzer, and uh, when I was 18 years old, I'm 37 now, when I was 18, uh, I, I was called into the ministry, and I, I became a pastor. And for 16 years, I served as a pastor, and... Uh, uh, and uh, about midway through that, I, I became a, a teacher at Christ for the Nations, which is a Bible college, and I led the department there, and uh, everything was going great, except not me. I, I was in a place of extraordinary frustration. You know, I've always said that I, I've never had a crisis of faith. Uh, I have wonderful parents, raised me well, and good, good encounters with the Lord, and, and in about 16, I began a, a strong relationship with the Lord. I've never had a crisis of faith, but uh, there in my 20s, I started having a crisis of church. I just was in a place where I was just frustrated, and, you know, I, I found, and maybe you need to hear this, that um, when the church is really frustrating us, uh, all the, we typically blame it on the church and people in the church when really it's God working something out in us, and so we got to go in prayer to the Lord and say, God, you know, either your, your, uh, your church is doing me wrong, or I'm in the wrong place, or I'm not in the right mindset, so I began praying to the Lord, and I was an executive pastor to church, and I was in the process of a succession plan to become the senior pastor, and... And I just felt the Lord say that he wanted me to step out and to stop pastoring. And I thought, great, God's firing me because I don't have a good heart. Um, which, who knows, it might have been partially true. But, uh, but as I began to pray, um, my wife and I at the time were trying to get pregnant. And that wasn't working. And so we said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to go be missionaries to India and adopt a, a precious little Indian child. They're so cute. And so, um, and so we had set our sights on doing that. We just kind of pulled that out of the hat and said, let's do it. And about midway through... A uh, prophetic word came uh, that we needed to set our sights on London, England. We thought, well, wait a minute, that's not that's not missions, you know. You got to go to uh, to where there's a lot of poor and unreached people. Um, and it turned out that there are actually a lot of spiritually poor and incredibly unreached people in London. And that's where God was uh, setting our sights. And so we said, okay, yes, London is actually pretty great. And so let's go. And uh, then we got pregnant. That was great. A few months later, we found out that that uh, that first child of ours was going to be born with half a heart. 
And believe it or not, we still even said, well, God, if you called us to London, well, then maybe there's a great hospital there. And there was not. In fact, the greatest hospital was in Dallas, Texas, right where we were. And so he said, okay, God, we're just going to take this thing that we know is from you. And we're going to put it on the shelf. We're going to focus on our son for a while. And uh, thank God he survived the pregnancy. He survived all three surgeries. He's five years old. He's in the nursery here today. He's a fantastic kid. Yeah, thank God for that. And I understand what God was doing because six years ago he pulled me out of the church, or at least serving in the church in that way, um, in order to begin working me into who God, me and my wife, both of us, into who he needed us to be for our mission upcoming. You know, it, we like God to do things on a fast track, right? But God, you got to trust him. However his timing is, you got to trust him for that timing. And so over the past six years, he has been molding my mindset, uh, what I've been doing. In fact, I've been doing a lot of ministry in the marketplace. And my wife is a professional counselor, and then the two of us in our marriage together. And we've had two other kids since then. So we have three kids now. They're all under six. And, and now God has said, go. We said, Wait a minute. God, you're so mixed up on this. When we didn't have any kids, you didn't send us. And now we got three kids under six, and you're you must be crazy. Well, he wants to put me in a position where I am just completely dependent on him. And let me tell you, when you have three kids under six, that is exactly what you are, is completely dependent on him. And so, um, you know, that, that's where we're at. We're going to be leaving in December to go to London, England to be missionaries. My wife is going to be a professional counselor there. She is here uh, working with a church, and I am going to be doing marketplace missions by working for a company in the UK. Which company? I don't know yet. I, I had it all set up a few months ago, and I just felt the Lord say, drop that thing and seek a new thing. Okay, that's crazy. Uh, and so I'm still in seeking, so I have a... a uh, an opportunity. I'm meeting with the CEO in the UK on October 28th, and uh, just pray for me that that uh, is God's way for answering some questions because it's expensive to live in the UK. So we're going to be raising some support for our mission, and I'm hoping to find a position there that'll be good as well. But the reason why I'm seeking a position there is because the mission field that that I'm called to, along with my wife, is in the marketplace. So we've been saying that we're called to plant a church. Except that 90% of the people in our church won't even know that they're going to our church. And uh, the problem with that is they won't be tithing, and so there will be no budget. But you know what? We, we know that that's what God's called us to do, is that the people we encounter on the streets and in our neighborhood and the uh, families uh, of the kids that my kids go to school with and the people that we're working with in, our, uh, uh, in the business that I'm working with, that is our mission field. That's our church. And so that's what we're focusing on. And God has done a lot of work on me in the past few years, and that's exactly what I'm here to talk about. That's what I've been invited to speak about, is what God's put on my heart that I believe is absolutely for you. Uh, and so first, just want to, to make sure we understand this. The Little C Church, this organization, this institution, this building even that we're in right now, it does not save souls, nor does it even offer a message of salvation because it's just a building. You know, from a cathedral to a strip club, any place where two or three people gather there and invite God in, it becomes a sacred place. Right? So it's not the little C church that does this. It's a big C church. And the big C church does not save souls. But it, the big C church, you and I, we, we carry the message of salvation. See, it is Christ that saves souls. And it is Christ that has sent us, he has told us, he has asked us, he's invited us to go and to be in the world carrying a message and building a bridge that God saves, that God saves, that God saves. We are a message, we are his message in a bottle, tossed out and landing over the expanse of the entire planet. In us, the spirit of God 
hovers over the waters of this entire earth. Any place where there's people that need to hear a word, there is somebody there. And they may, they may not like that they're there, but they're there because God wants them there. And the Spirit of God is, is in us and is hovering over the waters of this earth, prepared to recreate, to awaken, and to breathe life. And that's you I'm talking about. The Spirit of God in you. The Spirit of God is not trying to exist outside of us doing the work. The Spirit of God is trying to go into us to do His work. You think he just bypassed us all together, but no, 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 no. He intended to do it as a family. It's a family effort. In Romans 16, it says, how will, how will those that are lost hear it if nobody speaks it to them? And how will, those, uh, how will somebody speak it to them unless they're sent to go do it? And so this morning, I'm here to answer Romans 16 and tell you, you are being sent to go speak it to ears that haven't heard what needs to be heard. It's time to pop the cork on that bottle, right? Uncork that bottle that's saying uh, that's landing there in the shores of your, the business you work in or the school that your kids attend or the neighborhood that you live in. And this is our coming out party, and the rainbow is our flag. Now, I say, wait a minute. Did you say this is our coming out party and the rainbow is our flag? Well, I just want to address that real quick. The fact that the homosexual uh, community... Uh, uses the rainbow as their flag is offensive to some, and I understand why. But the reason why it's not terribly offensive to me is because I believe that that rainbow is a message from God. Remember, Noah, the ark, God destroyed people for their wickedness. Then he brought a rainbow, and with it came a message saying that I will never bring my punishment like that again before I bring my redemption first. And so that's the story of the rainbow, and it's waving over the heads of people who are very wicked. I mean, God loves them. They're sons and daughters of Christ, but there's wickedness, right? And they're holding the very message, and I think that God is in charge of that, of that rainbow, and he put it exactly where he wants it to be. So we don't need to take the rainbow back. What we need to do is fill the rainbow up with the purpose, keep reminding people. In fact, a guy came up to me in the first service, and he said, check, uh, check out my belt buckle, and it said Jesus and had a rainbow behind us. That's it, man. That's it. They, we need to, to put that message back into the rainbow. And um, today I want to discuss all this. I want to discuss your connection to God because hell is real, and salvation is real, and the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit, the laying on of hands to raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out demons and bring prophetic words of hope to people and having life change, that all happens because the Holy Spirit does it. The Holy Spirit's real, and it will happen through you. So we've got to talk about your connection to the Holy Spirit and God working through you. We need to talk about your connection to the natural community that God has placed you in. It's not by accident that you live in that neighborhood or that you work at that business. It may be a wicked place. Well, guess what? That's exactly where God Put you because it's a wicked place. And then I want to talk about your recognition of that mission that God has designed for you, has always designed for you, that you are not anywhere that you were at by accident, all right, by some mistake that you made or because you ignored something else. You're exactly where you are because God wants you there. So why, let's talk about community and connection. Why is our connection to this community, this family of God so important? Well, it's all about uh, the ingredients in a recipe, right? Because imagine if you were to take cheese out of lasagna. You know, that exists, uh, and it's gross, okay? It's not good, right? Imagine if you were to take uh, milk and sugar out of ice cream. They do that, and they put it in stores. And I just think they shouldn't even call it ice cream because then people are on diets, and they try to go buy those. Oh, it's going to be just like ice cream. It's not. It, it tastes bad, okay? Uh, imagine hot dogs without an assortment of animal parts. You know, that's just what makes a hot dog a hot dog, right? <laughs> it just tastes so good. You know, we just got to ignore what's in it. Um, okay, maybe there's some ingredients that need changing. But, but imagine cookies without eggs or flour. There are people, they're called vegans, 
They work for the devil, and they, uh, <laughs> they take eggs and flour uh, out of the cookies, and they taste terrible, right? So you can't do that. And uh, See, God created human beings, and there's a recipe to us. And part of the uh, recipe, the, the core ingredient, right, is community. We exist in community. We cannot exist in isolation without breaking down and not being what God has intended us to be. And the reason why I know this is because God exists in community. God exists in three persons. It's a confusing and confounding concept, but it is true, and the Bible tells us this, that God is in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it said that when he created man, he said, let us create man in our image. It's very bizarre, but community existed, and God, when he created us, wanted to be sure that he created us with the same code that we we required community to be who God has made us to be. And if you exist separated from community, well, then you are not being who God has called you to be. Uh, Abraham's purpose required Sarah. And Moses' purpose required his brother Aaron. And David's purpose required a special relationship that he had to Jonathan. And, you know, even Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, right? He came to earth, and before he started his ministry, he spent all night long fasting and praying. And then he went out, and he chose 12 men that he would travel with during his ministry. It was his small group. It was a core group of guys. He knew if he was going to accomplish what God had sent him to do, he needed to do it in community. Jesus recognized his need for being connected as essential to the accomplishment of God's work in his life. Not only that, but the ministry that he did was all about bridging the gaps between us, right, between Jews and Gentiles, bridging that gap because it was a big division, between rich and poor, between weak and strong, between man and woman, between adult and child, between you and me. And this is a good message for right now because look how divided our nation is, seriously divided, right? And that's the devil at work. The devil wants to divide because he sees how essential unity is to God's purpose. And we can't let the devil win. We can't let ourselves be divided. We need to obey that calling that God has called. Come together, come together, come together. But Jesus, because Jesus did not only come to restore the children with their heavenly father, that's what the gospel is about, right? Restoring the children, the lost children to their heavenly father. But no, it's not just that. It's also to restore us to one another. Because he made us to be family. And there are two reasons why we need this community. The first is this, is that we need others to even survive. You may say, no, I've figured it out. I can live without anybody, you know. It's just not true. There's no such thing as a self-made man or woman. We are who we are because of all the help we get around us. And, you know, when we lean into that and we say, yes, uh, life is better together, well, guess what? Rejoicing is better when we do it together, right? Whenever we're uh, listening to a song that we really like, we want to share that with somebody. When we're watching a TV show by myself, when I watch a TV show, when something that happens that funny, I typically don't laugh or I just go, <laughs> you know. But if somebody else is in the room, I go, <laughs> yeah, you know. And uh, there's a particular thing that really gets me going is when I'm watching uh, the Dallas Cowboys play football, right, or OU play football, which they didn't do good yesterday. OU fans in the room? Okay, you're, you didn't come to church because you were just like, it's a bad day yesterday. Well, but when I'm watching Dallas Cowboys, I love watching their friends, and we get rowdy. And it's not just me. It's not because I'm a rowdy guy. Uh, I love to show this uh, video real quick of Jerry Jones and Chris Christie watching a playoff game two years ago, Dallas Cowboys. And look at these big goofballs and what they did. Look at that. They're just hugging like a bunch of schoolgirls. 
I love that. Why? It's just something about being together and rejoicing that you just start reaching out and grabbing whoever's around you, you know. And rejoicing is better together. And in fact, um, Steve Oglesby here at the church shared a really great quote with me last night that joy shared is multiplied, right? It's good to share the joy that we have because then it just multiplies that joy that's so great. Um, but also what's great is sorrow shared is divided, Grieving is better when we do it together. I know it sounds weird to say grieving is better, but grieving is dealt with in a better way when we do it together because we get to share our sorrows with others. It doesn't make it hurt any less. But I know that I've experienced a share of sorrow in my life when we first found out that my son was, uh, w- was stricken with a heart condition, that he may not live and that he may not have a long life. That was painful. And I remember that our friends knew about the appointment we were having, and soon after, they sent a text saying, hey, how would everything go? Is everything Okay. And we hadn't thought to call anybody or talk to anybody. We were just crying constantly about this circumstance. And all I just sent back to him was one word I just sent, bad. And he said, I'll be there in 15 minutes. And he jumped in his car, left work, and came immediately. He and his wife came to our house and just sat on the couch with us and just cried. I can still remember it. I can still remember sitting on my couch and seeing them crying as if it was their child. And there's just something about that that just made made me stronger, us stronger to, to just take the next day on and the next day on you know a few years later we had lost a child to miscarriage that was tough and s- since then I've experienced all sorts of different levels of sorrow and I've known the first thing I need to do is reach out and grab on to somebody but I've also known on the other end that when somebody else is going through something to just sit there next to them right and just cry or just sit next to them and bump them every now and let them know I'm here you know, I've got no wisdom for this. There's just grief. You just have to go through it. But grieving is better when we do it together. When you need a community and you say, ah, you know, I'm doing okay. Well, that day that that thing happens and that comes, you need to have a community you can lean into. Family development is better when we do it together. I have three kids, and they are so cute. Let's see a picture of those cute kids. Um, I got Moses over here. He's the one with the heart condition. He's five. He's doing great. He's in the nursery today. Uh, this is Simon, his little brother, middle child. Uh, and this is Valentine, our little daughter. Aren't they just so cute? They're monsters, okay? <laughs> yeah, they give you know, the picture of original sin. Like, oh, this is why people need to be saved. I get it. You know, um, and we, uh, we went away to London just a few months ago. We went for six weeks, just us and our family. It's a fun adventure. But whenever you just, uh, the, the only thing our kids were getting was our family for six weeks. And they got weird and bad and development stalled. It just stalled. But then when we got back home, we get them back in a church nursery and in a school and play dates with our friends. Well, uh, all of a sudden, the, the grumpiness, the neediness, the uncontrolled, their development, you know, it, it all just went to the next level. They, their development sped up. They begin to have better attitudes. And, and it, family development is just better when we're together. I can see how my friends father their kids. And I go, ooh, I don't father my kid like that. I better start shaping up, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and we need that. And, but also our spiritual development is better. We know that in Scripture it says, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen that uh, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. Just so you know, I've never sharpened iron with iron before, but I think I know that it's an intense thing. Cling, you know, it's lots of sparks and heat. And the reason why I know that is because I have submitted to accountability throughout my life, and it hurts. And I know why people don't want to do it, because it hurts a lot, right? I mean, it's fun and all whenever we can just make sure we're praying, but all of a sudden when a guy spots that I'm not being so nice to my wife and calls me out on it, that I go, hey, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, iron sharpening iron. And I need that. 
right? Because I want to be the best that I can be for my kids, for my wife, and for the calling that God's called me to. And I can't have that unless I got some ruthless bros around me who are saying, you jerk, you need to stop being, you know. So spiritual development is better when we do it together. Community is where our weakness finds coverage, thank God. You're weak. I know you are. I don't know you very well, but I know you've got a lot of weakness, a lot of flaws. Your flaws and your weaknesses find coverage from the community that we're a part of. But then here's what's great. Your strengths find a purpose, right? I mean, we see people up here with, uh, with uh, singing strengths and musician strengths and preaching strengths. And, and sometimes we get isolated into thinking though those are all the strengths that matter in the kingdom of God. Not at all. People who work with their hands. People who are smart with money, right? People who nurture well. People who do a great number of things are needed in the kingdom of God. And whenever you join up with God's family and community, all of a sudden strengths that you never thought were very useful become purpose in his kingdom because he sets you and so you got to see it your weaknesses they need coverage so join the community your strengths they have a purpose in this community so join up uh, but it's not just for you I'm not talking about this today because you are the only one who needs it ultimately the reason why I'm saying you've got to be plugged into this community and be aware of the community role you play out there is because they need you they need us They need us not to be hermits, not to be isolated, but to be among them, considering the reason why we're among them. And I think the best example for this is uh, is Daniel. So Daniel in Scripture, uh, he was ripped out of his home in Jerusalem. He was forced to serve King Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king in a pagan land, a Babylonian empire. and, uh, And for his entire life, when he was a young boy, he was taken away. And uh, he did the right thing. He said, God, I'm going to serve you right here where I'm at. It says that Daniel prayed three times a day. And he refused to, uh, to bend to the, the, the religious influences of that land. And he stuck with God. And while he was there, uh, it's a very interesting circumstance where we see in Daniel 10, the curtain is pulled back and we see a little bit of what spiritual warfare is all about. And let me tell you, it's bizarre, okay? So Daniel uh, gets a vision that he doesn't understand, But he knows that it's a vision for the people of the Babylonian, for the king, right? So God is actually giving Daniel advice to share with the king in order for them to prosper, which you think is off. Doesn't God want to destroy? Well, uh, Daniel, God is using Daniel to to help guide this king. And so he brings him a vision, but he doesn't have the interpretation. So he begins to pray and pray. And for three weeks, he prays with no answer. I don't know about you, but I've had prayers where I've prayed for a long time and not gotten an answer. And so you know what I do? I just stop praying. You know, it's frustrating not to get an answer. So if I just stop praying, I don't even have to worry about it. Well, that's not the right way to do things. You keep praying and you keep praying. And then we see why you keep praying. Because after three weeks, Michael the archangel comes to Daniel and he says, Daniel, I'm here. And, you know, Daniel's like, whoa, you know, it's an angel. Right? Daniel, I'm here, and I have been coming to your aid ever since you prayed three weeks ago. The problem was, was I was stalled by fighting against the principality of Persia. The way, or in other translations, the prince of Persia. You go, what, what's the prince of Persia? And how do angels fight? You know, do they have like flaming swords? Do they do like the force Jedi thing? Like, I don't understand what's happening, but there's an actual fight between the prince of Persia and Michael the archangel, you know. And so he, but he reveals, and he said, and I had to call it for reinforcement from heaven to be able to fight the battle and win the battle to be able to get to you. All of a sudden, we see that, wait a minute, there's this like whole thing happening up there. And yes, we know that throughout scripture it says there are principalities and powers that are sitting on thrones. Where? Not here in uh, COTR Texarkana, but absolutely in your neighborhood. 
absolutely in parts of your family, absolutely in your kids' schools, absolutely in the place that you work. There are principalities, and somebody better start praying. Because if Daniel hadn't been ripped from his home, taken way over here, nobody would have been praying against the prince of Persia. And that's exactly, so Daniel is given a sense of purpose of, you know, I, I hate that I was taken from my home and brought to this pagan land, but there's purpose in it now. I'm the one guy bending my knee and making sure there's a battle that can be fought and won against the principalities and powers of this space. And so, you know, a lot of us as Christians, we want to go and huddle up in the church, right? We want to put the cork in that bottle and just stay inside of it, but that's not what God wants. He wants to strategically place you in wicked places, Right? Right, where there are office affairs happening in your, uh, in your place of business, where there, is, uh, where there are kids with uh, serious mental illnesses that are considering doing drastic things in their schools. Right, where there are neighbors, where there might be abuse happening in the homes. He wants you among that wickedness to be the one who's bending the knee and calling on the power of heaven to fight against that and to bring hope where there's hopelessness, right? And so they need you. They need us. They need us to do what Daniel is doing. Because here's the truth. Uh, you know, uh, this pinky is great. I love it. It fits perfect right here, right? But if you were to cut off my pinky, uh, the pinky, uh, I'd be fine. I'd be fine. My body could handle life without the pinky, but the pinky would be not good. It wouldn't survive, Right? And that's the thing, is as long as we're plugged into the body, we'll be okay. We can make it. The body can survive. But there are so many little lost pinkies out there, right? They can't function. They can't survive. There's no hope for them if they don't get connected to the body. So that's why we've got to get out there. They need you. Well, yeah, but I'm flawed and I'm broken and I don't have any of the skills that Pastor John, Pastor Travis, Pastor Mike, I don't have that, you know. Well, you don't need to. Because you know what, Pastor John, Pastor Travis, Pastor Mike, me, all the greatest people you've ever heard of would all tell you the same thing. If God didn't need to use anything of mine, he just needed to be open because the Holy Spirit was going to do all the powerful work, right? But you've just got to get there and say, Holy Spirit, I'm ready, you know? Somebody at work, you find out that they have a diagnosis of cancer, and you just go, uh, uh, and you lay hands on and say, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd bring the power of healing into this person's body in the name of Jesus. I can't do that. That's crazy. Yeah. And you know what? There's a very real possibility. You may do that and nothing will happen. But you know, you need to start proving to God that you're willing to do it. Right? Because God can do it. He's got the power to do it. But do you have the strength to be willing to let him do it through you? And it's not just things like that. It's simple things like giving somebody a hug on a bad day. Right? Being nice to somebody who's not nice to you. Buying somebody a coffee at Starbucks when you go to make that coffee run just because. So, um... What do I need you to do? How do I need you to, to execute this? One is this. I want to challenge you over the next couple of weeks for you to take a time of fasting and prayer. And uh, like fast a meal or fast three meals in one day and just take one whole day. And you fast and you pray and you ask God, God, uh, who do I need to be connected to in my life for my spiritual development, for me in my life? Uh, we need to have a relationship to the Trinity, right? We need to have a prayerful relationship with God. But I think there's also a trinity of relationships that we need to have. All of us need to be submitted to a mentor 
in our lives, a guide, a mentor, somebody that's older, further along than us that we can submit to and have there in our lives. And I think you need to pray and ask, God, who is that? I need to identify that person and strike an accord with them that we have that relationship. You also need to be praying and say, God, who is a friend among me who both of us were attending church faithfully? We both want God's work to be done in our life, and we're going to link arms together. We're going to start having breakfast every couple of weeks, and we're going to start asking how we're doing in our marriage and how we're doing in our service to Christ. You know, who's that friend accountability? That's the second relationship. The third is, God, who is the person you've called me to to be a guide and a mentor to? Both somebody who's of faith and they're just less mature than I am and somebody who's not of faith who needs me to be a bridge between them and God in my neighborhood or in my place of work. All right, you've got to pray. I'm asking you. I'm giving you an assignment to take some time to ask God, where do I need to get myself connected into? And then secondly... Once you've determined that life group that you need to be plugged into or that mentor and that friend that you need to be connected to, that you begin to pray with them for God to reveal to you and to them what the specific mission is that he has called you to perform. Right? He is not. Now, all of us here, God has strategically placed us to be teachers, to be uh, uh, caretakers in the home, to be a manager at a business, right? To be even a pastor at a church. But each there for a purpose, right? You're not a teacher for a paycheck, right? You're not a manager at Kroger for a paycheck. You're there because God has sent you there on a mission from heaven. That's what it is. It really, really is. That's why you're there. We need to embrace that and say, God, who is it? Why am I here? What's my assignment we've got to go ask him for that but listen the reason why the scripture is filled with exhortations and uh, to love and encourage one another is because the church is not made up of natural friends the church is made up of natural enemies really there is not a chance that you're going to engage a community and not find yourself frustrated with a lot of people and wanting to write people off. You may already be there. In fact, there's actually a scripture in Matthew 5 whenever Jesus is speaking to a great crowd of people. And he says, if you are about to sacrifice before the Lord, but you know that you have an offense with a brother, you leave that sacrifice at the altar, you go deal with that offense. See, Jesus and God are trying to tell us this story of the, your connection to community is essential. And you can't let bruises and hurts and resentment reside in you. You've got to push that away. You've got to turn the other cheek. And it says, greet thy brethren with a holy kiss, right? You need to go kiss and make up to make sure you stay connected to the community. If you've got beef with somebody at your work, listen, you're called by God to be a witness to that person. You've got to let that beef go. Be the bigger person. Be humble and say, you know what, I'm going to apologize to that person, whatever I need to do, because I want to be a blessing to them. Oh, we have opposite personalities. There's a lot of friction there. But God has placed me there to be a bridge of hope for them and their life. It's true. It's true. So it's not going to be easy. But hell is real. It's real. We have just this life to decide whether we go to heaven or hell. And that decision is based on salvation. Whether or not we, we submit to Jesus and commit our lives to him. He is the way to not be separated from God forever. And we, and we have to make that decision in this life. And the Holy Spirit is real. And that's exciting because if the Holy Spirit is real, then that means that you don't have to be good at anything. Right? That you just have to be willing. That's it. Right? You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't even have to know the Bible really well, to be honest. All you need to be willing to do is to say, yes, God, and to be crazy enough to take a step of faith. It feels comfortable to live in Dallas. It feels uncomfortable to live in London. And I'm about to step into marketplace ministry, which means I'm going to uh, go to a place where I don't know the U.K. economy, and I don't know how to do U.K. business, and I guarantee you there's 100 people. No. 10,000 people that are better 
than I am at what I'm going to go try to do over there. But there's a difference between me and those 10,000 people. Is I'm not going over there to try to be some business expert. I'm over there to say, God, I'll do what you tell me to do. And if I do that, then God will put me in the room with powerful, influential people. Because if I, if I remain the guy who will go, I'm going to speak a prophetic word over you. Like, What's a prophetic word? It's a word from the Lord. From the Lord? Who are you? You know. <laughs> and they, you can kick me out of the conference room if you want to. But I'm going to obey what God says. And I'm asking you to do that too. And I wrote something for you. I just want to read it. God is the writer. And Christ is his pen. And the ink is Christ's blood. We are the paper to which the ink is touched. The bottle is the church. In all its iterations, from the building on a street corner to the small group in a prison, from a family at a dinner table to two homeless men sitting on the street, one with a gospel chorus on his lips and the other with ears for listening. You are the paper, yes, but where you have landed is where God intended for your bottle to be. Whether it's an affluent city outside of a metropolis or a sleepy town in rural backcountry. God wound up his arm and threw your bottle to land with you in it precisely where he meant it to. That place that is best. So uncork the bottle, step out on a dry land and share the message that reads, Come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Rest. It's a rat race out there. It's hard. Marriages are dying. People are losing the battle every day. And Jesus stands up and he says, come to me. Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you frustrated? Are you in debt? Are you heartbroken? Are you, are you losing? Come to me and I will take all of that off of you. And I will give you something else. I will give you a burden that is easy, that is light. I will bring you joy. I will bring you love. I will bring you the family of God. That's the message that God is asking you to take. God's secret weapon, his weapon of mass redemption is you, unified with us, embracing them. You can't deny it. And my wife and I will leave in December. We bought plane tickets for December 6th. The beast is in works right now. We may have to delay that by a couple weeks. I hope not. But uh, we're moving with our three kids. And, you know, even last night as we were driving around, our kids are doing this often. It's heartbreaking. As we were driving around, my little daughter, every house she saw as we drove here last night, she goes, is that our house? No, that's not our house. Oh, is that our house? No, Valentine's not our house. And uh, every time we pull up to the apartment we're living in right now, we temporarily moved in to an apartment, we pull up, they go, oh man, I thought we were going back to our house. It's the house we sold like six months ago. Our kids want a home. And so whenever Pastor Mike said, I just want you to think about that thing and say, Jesus, I had about four things and one of them was, God, please, we have a home over there in the UK and I pray that you bring it to us. Amen. Jesus, bring us our house, right? My kids need a house, right? It's not going to be easy, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to go over there and we're going to plant ourselves in a foreign community. And we're going to see the neighbors on our left, our right, front, and behind. And we're going to say, this is our church. And we're going to love them. We're going to put our kids in school. And we're going to meet their teacher. And we're going to start praying for that teacher. Because that teacher is, is God's assignment to us. To love her. To love him. Whoever it may be. 
And then I'm going to go and I'm going to work in some kind of company. I'm going to interact with people every day. And as I do, I'm going to shake people's hands. And they're going to think it's some kind of business networking thing. But what it is, is it's my prayer list that they're getting on. And I'm going to be praying for them and praying for them and saying, God, give me prophetic words. That scares me, you guys. So you think it scares you? It scares me too. What if I'm wrong? What if I say something that gets me put in an awkward position? I guarantee you it will happen. But it will be in obedience to Christ. And it's no better place to be than there. And so I'm asking you to be as obedient as we are trying to be right here. Because I'd say that there's more churches saturated in Texarkana uh, than in most places in the country. I guarantee there's more Christians in Texarkana than there are most places in the country. But there are still tens of thousands of people. Tens of thousands just here in Texarkana that did, have not made Christ their Savior. And they're never going to come to CRTR Texarkana to answer an altar call. The only chance they have is you. Being willing to take your ordinary, everyday life and commit it to God. Can we pray together now? Lord, thank you. Thank you that we're in your family. Not all of us are taking advantage and embracing the family you've put us in. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help to break the chains of resentment and bitterness and whatever's keeping people isolated in this room, to embrace the family you've put them in. First of all, you. But Lord, I thank you that you have given us this. And Lord, you've not given us this just for us. You've given us this as a foundation for the, the calling that you have for us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the schools, in the marketplace, God, in the places that we work. So I pray that even now as I am praying, that you'd begin to open up hearts and ears and spirits and begin downloading into them the massive vision and your passion for the vision you have for their lives that you've designed them for from the day that they were even knit together in their mother's womb. You knew where they'd be today and you'll know where they'll be tomorrow and on Tuesday and you have plans for them. God, I pray that everybody in this room would submit themselves to your plan. There is no greater path to joy and love and hope and salvation and righteousness and, and, and everything, everything than following your path. No matter how difficult it may be, it is the path that is sure. Just as David prayed that you will make our ankles like a deer, that we will glide through our lives. If only we would follow your path. I pray they would submit to your family here and submit to their calling out there. And they would find that as they do, an unbelievable power of your Holy Spirit meeting them with the words to speak with the actions to take. I pray for miracles, not just wisdom, but God, miracles, Lord, to occur in their ordinary, everyday life. We saw it in the book of Acts. It's still happening all over the world today. May it happen here, because the people of COTR Texarkana said, yes, I will. I'll uncork the bottle, and I will let this message go out to those who need to hear it. Jesus today. Jesus, whisper to your people. Just open your ears right now. Let's just take 60 seconds, two minutes. Just open your heart and your ears. Jesus, speak. Holy Spirit, speak. In the name of Jesus, break down barriers and strongholds and obstacles that are keeping your people from hearing the sound of the shepherd's voice. These are your sheep. Let's just take a minute. Just listen. Just listen.
Father, we thank you. You're communicating God. And it's all about relationship. It's all about family. So we just want to confirm the fact that, Lord, we might be afraid. We might be unsure. But, Lord, we're here. Use us. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, I don't know how many know what our vision is. It's a simple statement to connect God to, to connect people to God, friends, ministry, and the world. Let's say that together. Connecting people to God, friends, ministry, and the world. That was that message right there. It really is. You just take every little piece of that. And I want to ask you one question before we go. Are you connected to God? Because, yeah, you're God's creation, but you not, might not be a child of God. Because the Bible says, as many received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. You know, somebody asked me a question. If I died, I'd go to heaven or hell. That was several years ago, and I didn't have the answer. And he said, you have to individually ask Christ into your life. And if you've never done that, you're not really connected to God. Uh, and so I'm going to give you that opportunity. If you're not 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. What I did when he asked me that question, he said, if you're not sure, raise your hand and we'll say a prayer together. And I just repeated a prayer after him. So if you're not sure you'd go to heaven, I want to help you connect to God right now. And if by raising your hand, you're saying, I want to get connected to God. I, I'm not sure about his purpose, his plan in my life. I just, I, I really haven't committed my life to him. I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. If that you, hold your hand up and we'll pray for you right where you're at. If you want to get connected to God, get things right with God. Hold your hand up long enough for me to see and we'll stop to just say a prayer where you're at. And I'm going to be at that cross afterwards. If you're not sure, come up there and we'll say a prayer together. And then get connected to friends. Man, get that little trifold, fivefold thing out of your chair and find a small group to connect with. You can't live this life alone. We just heard that. Find a way to connect. Stop by the connect room on the way out. And they'll help you. Get connected. Maybe get in a connect class this Wednesday. You still chance to come to this semester. It's just four weeks long. Come this Wednesday at 6.30 to our connect class. And then let's get connected to our ministry, what God has for us out there in the world. And I know it's kind of scary somebody going to a new place, but on one hand, it's almost, hey, I don't know anybody. What do I got to lose? And so sometimes it can be tougher for us because we've got kind of our habits down and people kind of know us. But how many are willing to say, God, break the mold in me? And I want to look into it fresh, like I'm going to a fresh new place. My school, my workplace, I'm telling you, everything can be made brand new. We can go through with our eyes open to the harvest, and God can do that. Amen? Well, I want our altar team to come up. Before we go, though, I want us to bless the man of God and his wife and family who are stepping out. And, you know, our church is going to, if you want to be a part of that, we'll have ushers at the back. When you leave, you can drop an offering in there or our debit machines. I'm going to leave a Bible up front here if you want to bring something up here. Our altar team is going to be here. Christian will be here to pray with you if you want prayer for anything. But I want to bless them. And, you know, I shared with our some students this morning, and I'll, I'll confirm it, but I think it's Isaiah 45, about the anointing being on Cyrus and, and that God will go before you and make the crooked places straight. He'll shatter the doors of bronze, cut through the bars of iron. But the biggest thing we've got to remember in all of us is that sometimes you're just going to have to stop and just get in the presence. When it's confusing and not knowing, and I'm telling you, when you get in the presence, man, that's when it's all about. And it might not be worship music. It might just be being quiet. It might be worship music. Whatever it takes is to get in the presence. And that's kind of one of our added assignments this week. During the week, you might just need to stop and just get in quiet presence and be quiet before the Lord. Let's stand to our feet. And our altar team's here. Again, if you're not right with the Lord, meet me at the cross. 
Let's bless the man of God. And if you want prayer for anything, otherwise let Nick sing through just a, a brief time as you just kind of let this absorb. And let's go out. Let's do what? Man, let's be salt and light. Let's begin to be connected to where we need to be connected. Amen. Great day in the house of the Lord. God bless you this week.